And that's our song. Welcome to Cinematographologically Speaking. My name is Troy. My name is John. My name is Steven. My name is Brody. And today we are talking about Ingmar Bergman's From the Life of the Marionettes 1980 film set in Germany after uh, leaving Sweden with the whole tags exile thing. Awesome. All right. We'll get uh, <laughs> we'll get preliminary thoughts and we'll go from there, I guess. Um, I'll start. I like this movie a lot. I think it's really good. I think it's Bergman's most dialogue-heavy film that I'm aware of, which is fitting given the content. And uh, definitely, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, you should have in the intro. You should have said uh, you should have said that it's his most underrated. His most. I think work. this is his most underrated film of the films I've seen. I don't know if there's some like you know 1930s whatever i haven't seen yet and it's like you know the best but it's some underground shit yeah but people really seem to not care about this movie which is crazy to me i think he even has said somewhere that he thinks it's one of his best efforts um i really like the film it's very intense um obviously super dense and uh this is the third time i've seen it in the past few months wow you do you feel like you uh gained another layer of appreciation on this viewing mm, maybe i mean yeah i mean i think so like I, I mean i don't know i don't i don't have a lot of like new ideas about it or whatever but it's like just as good as it was i mean especially just like the the opening scene and the closing scene that repeat you know Mm. or uh or like run into each other mm -hmm. like i don't know i mean i had a lot more appreciation for like because the first time you watch it you're like um like you have that you're super excited every time there's new information about what happened you know and the second time i viewed it uh it was i had a little bit more of that kind of like appreciation for like the story as a whole or whatever and everything like kind of interacting with each other and then the third time it was like kind of my first like totally complete viewing or something like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was really good. Just as good the third time. I thought the movie was pretty good. Uh, it did not blow me away, but certainly was good. Yeah, I wasn't exactly sold on this movie. I think there are some interesting aspects some interesting parts and i think that there is uh this conversation could either flip me to a very positive viewing of this movie or me actually thinking it's even worse than i thought it could have been i got this <laughs> i got this feeling i i wish i was even like i had like big brain psychoanalytic knowledge because i got this feeling watching the movie that this was like baby's first like reading of psychoanalysis and then you just like made a movie like you read some oh, synopsis of freud how dare you so i know but i i can't even say that because the only thing i've ever read is a synopsis so, yeah, of freud so baby. you know i'm baby so but we'll see maybe 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 i'll it'll be unveiled to me that this is actually a genius masterpiece okay well it's definitely a genius's masterpiece mm -hmm. for those who don't know 
for all the the crowd listening right now, I'm a I'm a big Bergmanite Bergman simp. Big Bergman so, baby. I'm a big Bergman baby, boss baby. You're Bergman. I'm big Bergman. Yeah. And I'm pretty offended <laughs> at any implication that Bergman isn't a million times the man you'll ever be. No, that's we that's fair. No, that's that's, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Bergman's clearly a suit. It comes through in all of his films. <laughs> it comes through the imagery. Um, it practically bleeds through the screen. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I've got something I could start us with. Uh, all right. Here's a little... Um, here's, here's a story about the film. You know, some kind of telling. So we, we've got Peter Eggerman. Peter... <laughs> I can't do it. Peter, <laughs> Peter Eggerman. Who's got a dominant mother and poor contact with the father, resulting in a latent homosexuality that Peter Ergerman himself was hardly aware of, but which of course interfered with his relationship to his wife and other women. This fact and an aggressiveness towards his dominant mother, transformed into fear, didn't find a natural outlet in Peter Eggerman's social environment where every kind of emotional outburst is considered almost obscene. For that reason, early on, Peter became estranged from his emotional life. Instead of being himself, he adopted attitudes and played the role that education and environment had assigned to him. A strongly developed sense of duty in connection with self-discipline practiced from childhood on and considerable social success prevented the patient from naturally acting out his emotions in any way. Obviously, he was also very attached to his wife, who, like his mother, has a possessive and strong-willed personality. The, inexplic- the inexplicable fear and the fear of that fear were ritualized into a closed social model where a certain consumption of narcotics and alcohol is not only accepted but recommended, but a recommended emergency exit. I dare say that nothing would have happened if Peter Eggerman had stayed in his milieu. The disaster starts the moment he comes into contact with the prostitute. Suddenly, everything is possible. The triggering impulse might have been something trivial, a word, a gesture, a tone of voice. The girl is murdered in a moment of emotional blackout, and in a presumably ecstatic moment. Peter Eggerman performs sexual intercourse with the dead woman. His emotions break free like an avalanche. Only someone you've killed can be possessed, or rather fully controlled. The patient has broken through all social and emotional barriers, and is therefore at risk of suicide, according to the same norm I have just formulated. Only someone who kills himself possesses himself entirely. So obviously, this is the um, this is the final chapter or the before the epilogue, where it's mm-hmm. Mogens Jensen, professor of psychiatry, dictates a preliminary summary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you guys how you felt about this summary in terms of its accuracy. And like, I think this is a really important moment and like maybe I'll, we could talk about it before I unleash a storm of wisdom and truth. Um, wow. I don't know. I'm I think, that. what? I'm looking forward to your wisdom and truth. Okay, well, I'll just, well, I'll just say I think it's not really, I just think, uh, I love this section. It's like, you know, given a film that I see is like totally focused on communication um like this is when you see this it doesn't seem that inaccurate and it seems a totally plausible telling although the 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 psychiatrist character isn't exactly super likable but i think it strikes the viewer 
in a sort of distasteful, distasteful way where you see like, well, I just watched the story that you just tried to summarize and there's clearly a lot more going on and blah, 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 blah. And just sort of this, um, we're, we're, we're like, uh, the, the psychiatrist, you know, his retelling might imply like, uh, you know, the summary in the film are somewhat synonymous, mm-hmm. like just likening the film to a story. Like the film is itself like a reductive telling of some story, just as the psychiatrist summary is a reductive telling of the same story. Right. And like just yeah. trying to hammer home this like inexplicability or this in- inexplicably mysterious nature of communication and things like this. Yeah, and I, I think that was, like that was my interpretation of the last scene as well, and that you know, like I was thinking of the title a lot from the life of the Mar- marionettes, and the way that the psychiatrist is retelling the story, and the way that he kept repeating, all was it all paths are blocked or all 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 paths all, all paths, paths are, are barred. barred all paths are barred, like ha- hammering home the narrative that like. You know, it's all like sort of deterministic, and I think that like the way that the um, the film was laid out and it's like non chronological telling, um, like to me that also showed like you as a viewer are watching something that you know already what's about to happen, so it almost becomes like deterministic from a viewer's perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you see, you see the killing, and so then everything that happens before it is some kind of inevitable, right? Like peace right. towards exactly, the, or some peace towards the inevitable. Yeah, and I don't, I, I couldn't really get a grasp on exactly if that was, this was a, um, criticism of that sort of viewpoint, or maybe a. I don't know, in support of that viewpoint, I couldn't tell. Right. Just, I think we're definitely going to... That's going to be a huge chunk of discussion. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. a lot to say. Stephen, you have something? Uh, well, the repetition of the term bard immediately brings to mind uh, the bard subject, which is a Lacanian idea and uh, a psychoanalytic idea. Uh, and as a chip in the armors... Reddit comment says, (laughs) The bard subject emerges when primitive needs get parsed into demand, which instantiates desire for what is undemandable. The bard other emerges when the subject discovers that it, too, lacks the phallus. And there's certainly, like, uh, you know, tons of recognition of that one lacks the phallus uh, throughout the whole film. But I think that to, like, obviously, to ascribe an analytic lens... The psychoanalytic lens is to, in some sense, like fall into the same trap as you know, uh, the psychiatrist. There's all. It also reminds me of the Borges's uh, as a quote where it's like psychiatry, or no, psychoanalysis is like the like I don't know. It's it's like the gross religion of our times, mm. or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he means that simply that people believe in it or something like that, or that people adopt it like an ideology. I think it is because it like. Uh, it seeks to provide answers to mm-hmm. things that are unanswerable. Right, right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I'm not sure what route we want to take when talking about the movie. Like my mind immediately drifts towards like psychoanalytic things. But, uh, but I also think that that would be relatively uh, boring or like obvious 
Well, can you quickly just define the bard individual in a more normie language? Because I, I might want to try and incorporate it, but that the definition was pretty dense. So like the uh no, I probably couldn't. So like the bard the bard <laughs> too subject, esoteric for you, bud. The, the the bard subject is uh here, you wanna hear Hakutins? This is another <laughs> attempt. Here's, here's another attempt. Okay. The su- the subject being between something and nothing. The it it's uh it I think other ideas that uh are locked in or like intertwined with it are like the idea of like eternal repetition in the desire cycle. Uh so like there you know, when you think of the Bard subject and you think of Lacan, you think of how desire is on like it's impossible to actually meet one's fantasy and things like that, and that desire works in a circumambulatory way. Um and so, like, the bard subject is some sort of, uh, like, I don't know, recognition that the subject, uh, I don't know, is torn between both the other, which is the master signifier, which is the thing which you constantly look to to provide a language for what you want. So when you think you want something, you appeal to this ethereal uh, thing, which you cannot actually put into language, and you ask of it to give you something in language. That's how, like, all language functions. And it, th- there's some sort of lack built into language, okay? And in communication, mm. there's, like, this emptiness that your language comes from, ultimately. And that's what the barred subject is, this idea that this subject is eternally barred from having access to the other. The other being not a person, not an entity, but this thing which delivers all of your forms of, like, signification, so whatever whatever has meaning to you is coming from an ultimately unreducible thing it, you and you like will constantly make appeals to it and it's one reason why desire constantly has to work around something because you actually can never even have access to the thing that you desire and that's a like a language constraint mm. but also a subjectivity <clears throat> constraint so does that make more sense yeah it makes yeah. a ton of sense I, and seems well, like super I, on the nose yeah yeah, I mean, I think I think it. I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, it's like played out by uh, Peter and Katarina's like conversation about like their everything they're doing seeming like staged and rehearsed and things like this, right? And that they, I mean, there's clearly some there's clearly like real love and feeling between them, um, but like everything that they do, I mean, there yeah, there's some kind of lack of ability to communicate that. Clearly, and then this is also like, uh, um, and then and and Peter, he, um, I mean, when they're in the bed in that one scene, like near the end, and he kind of points out the futility of it or something, and says that, and he basically like disavows the desire like cycle that they've played through as being meaningless, right? I mean, yeah, okay, definitely, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, which which um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the the, the that's yeah. Uh, what I was firstly, you know, raising my hands, you know, yielding to. I want to be honest about you know the potential of misinterpretation on my end of all of this. This is my best attempt, uh, as far as describing what the bard subject is. This is just me, like uh, you know, 
maybe perhaps perhaps I've gotten some things wrong to any of you listeners out there. Yeah, yeah, one, you know, one day the listeners, the future, are gonna, listeners are gonna hold your feet to the t- fire. Twenty on this year, one. twenty years from now, when I'm a fucking professor, right, and <laughs> and people look at my twenty year old self, you know, they're gonna freak out about how stupid I was and misinformed. But I think that this was real. I don't know. I think this is accurate. Oh, give it. But and I do want to say one other thing. I think. Though it is a more enjoyable form of psychoanalysis, it is a more enjoyable lens, Lacan, because it allows you to talk about things like this. It allows you to talk about, like, futility of language. I don't know, like, the primacy of, like, desire and, like, uh, fantasy and things like this from a more, like, affective, subjective approach. Uh, Whereas other psychoanalysis schools are, like, very, uh, you know, cold, very much like the psychiatrist at the end who gives you this very curt summary of what's going on. Um, but they may both fall, you know, fall prey to the same problem. Uh, and that is like, you know, like we're talking about their problems, trying to assign some sort of uh, system or logic to them. And even if you create a more honest system, which incorporates the futility of language or something like that there is still something being lost like some emotive aspect that we feel when we're watching Mm -hmm. uh so i'm worried about even bringing that to the table uh and i'm interested to hear what you guys thought on your first viewings and stuff like that you know um actually never mind what i would say is like along the same line but not directly a response i I just want to talk about the psychiatrist and kind of his view so if anybody has something to say like more directly about well i mean to to respond to the question my first viewing i remember being just enthralled with absolute anxiety i think this is one of my favorite anxiety core films anxiety pilled anxiety based so good dude i love when he's on the bed the first time we see him having trouble sleeping or no the first dream he describes wherein he no it's kind of, it's a dream sequence, but he's describing to the psychiatrist in the beginning of the film how he sees, how he will kill Katarina. And he's like lying there and his face is like sleeping, but his body is all sweaty and he's his heart is beating hard and you can see the pulse in his neck and stuff. And all these like really good, um, I just thought it was a really good, like both res- representation and discussion, and we'll get to that I guess later, but of like the depressive, anxious state and like... Um, Obviously, the language and all that figures in in this type of um, marionettes and blah, blah, blah. But that, I mean, in terms of my first viewing, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely, like, emotionally, like, enthralled by it. I, I, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess it's more response. Just the, the uh, yeah, I mean, I was definitely, like, seriously emotionally engaged in everything that was going on and kind of immersed in the same way that, like, other, I mean, that I am with, most Bergman films are watching like any good film. Um, but I mean, yeah. And then it may, it made like the psychiat the psychiatrist, like a uh, perspective on it, like more, like the more emotionally engaged I became with it. I can see that as being like how offended I was by his kind of cold interpretation. And, but also what's great about it is that it feels so perfectly accurate. Like, it it feels like such, like, a perfectly accurate explanation, which makes it, so it's not just, like, I mean, it's not just some kind of, like, perfect, it's not, like, the film is some kind of, like, totally all-encompassing, condemning criticism of the psychiatrist's view, because it's extremely compelling, and, 
but the fact that they seem incompatible and like create that kind of tension in your viewing of the film i think is so good right it would be very underwhelming if the psychiatrist's case seemed wrong and then it would feel like uh a very shoehorned like criticism of psychiatry Mm -hmm. whereas this is clearly more subtle and i think ultimately is potentially like a criticism of like psychiatry or like uh not psychiatry itself but like a i don't know like an analytical lens on human condition or something like that Uh, yeah i think ultimately it comes across that way but the only reason it's able to without you scoffing at it is because it's a very compelling case you know uh i like that yeah a more subtle middle finger yeah yeah it's like to me like the middle finger is like the uh explanation of human behavior or more specifically like the explanation of um like wrong or bad human or sickly human behavior and like what the ultimate causes for those things are and at that point you know that's where i see like the idea that uh like psychoanalysis as like being a religion is like being able to explain what you cannot i think really uh, i really showed through in that scene in particular um with his uh something that's kind of interesting about his like that explanation and also how he addresses peter throughout and how he talks about peter is there's kind of this weird like acknowledgement of his subjectivity um but it seems almost like a like it, it seems like his definition of subjectivity that he's acknowledging that Peter has or something is a much more limited definition than what the film seems to like give you as being like what the human soul is or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, and so w- with his explanation, I think why it feels off is because it, it it's like, it's, I mean, I don't remember the exact wording. I know we just read it, but um, it, it, there's like an acknowledgement of his subjectivity. It's not just like, let me explain exactly why you're like this way because of material conditions. It's some kind of, like, materialism that includes some kind of conception of, like, the soul, but without, but not giving it its real weight or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is why it, it, it works, <clears throat> which I think is why the argument that he puts forth or whatever is explanation, uh, what's kind of crazy about uh, how it's still so compelling is because throughout the film, I... All three times I watched it, I was really annoyed by his dismissiveness of Peter, you know, and his problems and his and his subjectivity or whatever. So when he gets to his explanation, it's crazy that he can that it's being delivered by him. This guy who I've developed basically zero trust in as being like a reliable source of understanding Peter. And yet I'm still compelled by it. Right. He definitely rides a line of like respectability and like being super annoying yeah and uh i think he you know that when he's when he's trying early on when he's trying to uh elope or convince katarina to elope with him to tanzania or whatever yeah um like tunisia prior you know what's up tunisia tunis tunisia oh yeah i don't know how to say it uh tunita tunita (laughs) with me something like that uh you know, just before that, we get this very cold psychiatrist. And, uh, you know, you can, and depending on what type of person you are when you're watching, you're thinking like, whoa, whoa, 
kind of kind of bad boy psychiatrist. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna indulge his fantasies and then squash him like that. Whoa, what's he gonna do next Thursday? You know, this yeah. is crazy. <laughs> Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. there's some sort of like coolness to how uh quickly he dismisses the fantasy you know obviously we see that as like we're given this al- alternative perspective because we already know he's killed somebody yeah right yeah but we know it's real earlier before so so like clearly we see a failing the psychiatrist immediately or but we also don't know his plan we don't know like you know he, he comes across as uh like he has a plan for how he's going to deal with his patient's fantasies and things like that. Mm-hmm. And like, for instance, I really thought that we were going to get another psychiatrist appointment next Thursday and there was going to be some crazy thing. But, um, we didn't really. Um, but then all of that is undermined. All of his sense of a plan is undermined as soon as, you know, he's uh, he, he's flirting with uh, his wife, you know, when he, and then the dude's like, <laughs> cuck, is put in this cuckold position, you know, <laughs> where he... Also, there's lots of scenes where uh, he's looking, uh, you know, through a frame or through a hole uh, to see something, mm-hmm. um, and it's oftentimes to see something he desires, or through the through the panes of a window to uh, see his wife's silhouette, you know, combing her hair and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see all of that as like very like cuckold like uh, uh, imagery, but not like in the sense like he enjoys it that way, but more like that's how desire like has to function. Is mm-hmm. like this kind of uh, is through a lens that bars you from it. Yeah, just disconnect. Um, yeah, right. Um, uh, but back to the point. Like I did, I did see like the the psychiatrist wanting to elope and totally undermines himself as he's unbuttoning his shirt and stuff, you know. Uh, and he just turns into this sleazy guy, and then uh, and then though, Katarina at least sees through and says something along the lines of like, whether consciously or unconsciously, you're just. You're just trying uh-huh. to Unveiled. like get to me. They're like trying to get in my pants. Unveil. Was it? Yeah. Trying to, he's trying. Yeah. She suspects yeah. he's trying to unveil the relationship. Uh, the between relationship. Her and, and I thought that was you know, and that was such choice wording yeah, because so clearly, clearly, this is meant to be what it is to unveil a relationship. Oh my god. Dude. So like, if you say to, if you say to unravel a relationship, <laughs> mm-hmm. that would be more like on the nose, obvious sense. Yeah. But it actually would be less correct. Because what's working, what's at work here in the nature of desire is the veil. The veil is the thing which provides the desire. The pain mm. in front of the window for the bathroom, mm-hmm. uh, all of these like uh, series of uh, holes that he's looking through. There's various shots where it's a frame. He's looking within a peephole, essentially. Um, yeah, to unveil it would actually be to ruin it. Uh, and I think that's pretty interesting, um, as opposed to like unravel. I didn't actually think about that. I even I even thought to myself in the movie, like, why did they choose the word unveil there? Like, is that a mistranslation? Would mm-hmm. wouldn't we want to use like unravel or ruin or you know break apart? Yeah. Like, why unveil? But it actually mm-hmm. makes complete sense in this uh, reading. I think. Yeah, totally, Anyways. totally agree. Um, I'm trying to think about the first psychiatry scene. I don't know, just. Yeah, you're definitely flipping. You, there's a lot of flip flops with respect to the psychiatrist, especially in the first scene. But like, like at first, I, I was suspecting like, oh, this is gonna be some kind of like, um, Robin Williams teacher moment, you know, where he's like, yeah, he's like exactly. being, you know, faux tough on him, but then it's all yeah. part of the plan. But then like the strategy he employs next, where like he gets Peter to start to fantasize about the murder, and then right when he gets mm-hmm. some crucial point, he attempts to like squash it with some type of yeah. Well, that's just fantasy, and the reality is it's going to be really gross and stinky. Yeah, it's you bloody, know? gross and but, bloody, And that just, yeah. yeah, yeah, talking about blood. It takes and a long it, time for them to die. Yeah, and I don't know about me, or I don't know about you, but I do know about me, and it seemed a little like, oh, what? This is kind of too obvious. Like, this is, 
a little bit cringe. Um, yeah, he does seem to kind of, yeah, the, her, her unveiled comment is accurate because I do sense that he is concerned about the situation. It, the opening lines of the film, here we go. Uh, I, I'm tired, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so he, opening lines, well, opening lines are first, uh, is Peter saying, I'm tired. And then she says, now you should, now you shall sleep. And she starts to like touch his face, you know, which is like a huge Bergman motif. Um, like I, I swear every Bergman film, there's like this really light face touching and it's all this crazy thing, you know, like cries and whispers, shame, whatever, all, you know, all the good ones have face touching. There's also another recurring thing we have to get to where, uh, Tim, my main guy who I love. Oh, there actually, there is so much to talk about here because Tim's, Tim's interview slash interrogation thing is so interesting, but, um, Another Bergman motif is like when Tim asks Katerina to touch his hand to her face and he asks her, do you feel my hand? Yes. But can you, can you sense that it is me? And she's confused. That situation, yeah, she does no yes and then kind of diagonal of and on. Anyway, that exact situation occurs in like, I swear, at least five other Bergman films. Um, Anyway, sorry, the, the, the guy says it opens up and it's like, I think it was 5 a.m. or just after 5. I had just gotten up and gone to the hall uh, to pick up the newspaper. And then he kind of brags, I'm an early riser. When the phone rang, anyway, he picks up the fur. He shoots over there ASAP at 5 a.m. Peter Eggerman's telling him, hey, you should come here. And he, you know, zips on over, right? Even though I think he starts it off with saying like, or, yeah. he acts like he doesn't really care he's not super bothered or whatever but if someone calls you at 5 a.m with some cryptic like hey you should go here and you zoom over there like you he obviously knew something was going on you know this is just to like grant some kind of credence to like his concern he's expressing to katarina and she sort of says you know she accuses him of this you know unveiling of their relationship which is also probably true right. but i'm just i'm just saying um yeah Blah, blah, I mean, blah. in the, in that in that conversation, he uh, he says that like reasonably he should not be concerned, but like he has some kind of intuitive uh, notion that yeah, his intuition or whatever. And he says, "Well, my intuition is never wrong or whatever." And then, um, yeah. So I mean, I th I think he's definitely like actually concerned, but he's like uh, trying to play hardball or whatever with Peter, you know. Mm -hmm. And like it clearly doesn't work, obviously, because he kills a girl. But like, uh, back to what you were saying with like when he's describing, he like asks him to fantasize about killing her or whatever, mm -hmm. and then he cuts him off, and it's just like, well, there's blood and it smells bad. Um, it comes off like I mean, if you were to imagine that going well, he'd like maybe lead him into those conclusions himself or something. But instead, he just cuts him off and just tells him directly, like, this is not like this is not what you think it is mm -hmm. which is like i don't know i mean it, that that statement in itself is some kind of denying of his like subjectivity or whatever you know like just just accept this and, and then right after that he's like we can take you into the psych ward and we can pump you full of drugs or whatever and then you w won't care if you're peter eggerman or the emperor of china mm -hmm. and and um which I can't tell if he's like, I mean, he like he's kind of making a joke, but he, I can't tell if he like actually feels as though that's like a viable solution or something. Some kind of like. I felt like it was. 
of I like he was yeah, providing as an actual solution, or he's just kidding. Taking his fears seriously, he's like, I'm not gonna. He's like, you don't even, you're not, you don't take your own fears seriously. Blah blah. And I, I, I don't know. I got the sense it's a real offer. It's like, look, if you, if you seriously think you're gonna kill Katarina, and you really don't want that to happen, I can make it happen. I'll delete you. You know, like you mm. know, I'll turn you into nothing. And you know, I mean, it's not a. It's not super persuasive. I mean, but yeah, I mean he's like, like saying I it to like, like scare him into like, like. Do you really res- do you respect your own fears? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. but but you you said that you thought it was a real offer, and I think that's not correct. You don't think it's a real uh, offer? Yeah, it's like he's like doing think, it to like scare be, him or whatever, right? Right, right, right. right. Could it be yeah. done? Sure. It's a real offer insofar as like the the cliche, you know, the classic example where it's like like. Uh, you can come with me and face your like say like a parent says this you can come with me and we can go do this thing that makes you anxious or you can i you can just stay home you can just stay home yeah. and lay in bed yeah, yeah, yeah. you can just stay home yeah. and you know do this thing and so there's like there's clearly both options and it's not just like and it's and and it's more subtle than this this example yeah, i just yeah, contrived yeah. but there but there's clearly uh like a motive towards lean, you know he says this as a means of basically barring it like He's saying this as a means of presenting it as a potential, but then it immediately becomes by like the way it's been said in its context, like not actually an option. Yeah, that was yeah, my yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well. It's like a, well, I'm saying it's a real offer, but really it's a like presenting of a of a non-choice, and like you okay. know really just hammers home this like all paths are barred sense where it's like, you know, yeah. in terms of Peter's perspective, he's either gonna kill his wife. Or like, or he sees himself as heading down this road where he's gonna either kill his wife or, you know, basically commit suicide, you know, pharmaceutically or not. Which mm-hmm. makes it interesting that he doesn't kill his wife. Oh, dude, uh, I want to talk about whatever. Uh. Um, but I think that back to like the point with um, talking about I don't know. There's like a lot of discussions about like the soul or whatever and like katarina talks about like uh neglecting her soul and things her soul starts to scream yeah her soul starts to scream because she like neglects it and like kind of denies its existence and then i don't know the, the thing is that that conversation that that's taking place in um it's so crazy because like all of this kind of acknowledging of subjectivity is like contingent on like some kind of acknowledgement of your own subjectivity or something like this. And and they're like that conversation this third time I watched it, especially uh, I think the first time I watched it, I was kind of confused by the way the conversation flowed. Like it seemed to get really serious and then the other person wouldn't interact. And what happens during that scene is so crazy because they kind of get very serious, but don't really listen to one another. Like they kind of do. And then Tim like forces this like communicate with me like uh gesture or something when he like has a, her place um yeah his hand on her cheek and like forces her into like recognizing whether he's there or not or whatever which like um I, I yeah I mean I, th- I think it's just kind of telling how she's like talking about her like her her soul screaming and such and and then and then she kind of dismisses it and then the conversation moves on. And so then when she comes to this point where she's like actually made to confront um, that or like like some kind of real emotional connection, she's 
confused, and I think that, like, her nodding and then shaking the head, um, what I read it as this time was something more like she was trying to, like, first kind of give him what he wanted or something, like, what he was asking her for, and then, like, being confused about whether she should answer honestly or whether she could answer honestly or something about, uh, whether she, she feels that it's him or something, and that, like, I don't know. I mean, it was just, it's just such a good, like, physical moment, like, illustrating this problem of uh, her, like, inability to connect. Yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. hammers home the idea of, like, the like, it introduces the flesh, which is, like, a constantly reoccurring topic of, like, this sort of um, dissonance or, like, incompatibility with the soul and the flesh or the body. And, um, yeah, I mean, maybe if we want to talk about that, we can. And then just to bolster your point just a little more, like, yeah, like he, I think Tim is actually a great, he's a listener and he's a talker. You know, she's the one who's not, you know, only passively listens at times. You know, she finds herself sort of enthralled by his own discussion of his face in the mirror. And yeah, he literally talks to himself in the mirror. Like he, he, he talks to her, then turns back to himself and turns back to her and talks back to himself. And there's this whole thing. But yeah, this kind of... um like he tries to bridge the gap like there's yeah there's just lots of discussions i mean let me know if you guys know what i'm talking about like a lot of discussions about the body and the the soul within and things like this and uh anyway and he tries to bridge the gap and she's like like you're saying like i like i think she sort of realizes the problem he's getting at <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, that that moment is like one of the few moments of like real intimacy or attempts at intimacy um because it's like forced or whatever and i don't know about you guys but throughout the whole film i was shocked at everyone's dismissiveness and one scene in particular is when um he the okay the whole like thing where he's gonna jump off the the roof (laughs) and that guy comes over and the guy seems so like nonchalant about it you know and then they're, like, arguing, and he's, like, kind of, like, choking her on the ground, like, yelling at her or whatever. And then the guy's, like, just take a shower. Like, <laughs> just take a shower, drink some coffee. Like, you got to be somewhere at 10 a.m. Like, mm-hmm. it's all fine, you know? And and so I think that there's, like, um, I mean, and there's also something else to talk about, the whole, like, audience type thing, like, where they talk about performing and how it's, like, terrible that there's never an audience or something like this and so but but um but yeah my point being is that um yeah throughout the film there's all these moments of everybody being completely dismissive of like the turmoil of ever of katarina and peter's like uh inner lives or whatever and like suggesting like kind of banal like material uh like uh solutions but instead to some sense, like, I feel like I can't blame people uh, for, like, not taking it seriously. Because when he's sort of threatening to jump off the roof, and then they come back and then they have that little childish squabble. Like, to me, it almost seemed like they, they go through this all the time. Like, mm-hmm. the, the threat wasn't real to begin with. And it was almost uh, an attempt to, like... I don't know, like, gain pity or, or you know, you know... <laughs> You know, like how it can be when you're just, you know, having like some sort of like childish like conflict and then 
you know, there's maybe something to be said about like conflict in relationships and like how they're almost like necessary or something like that. But go ahead, Steven. Uh, well, so it clearly renders him extremely impotent. Um, so like when he uh is standing on the edge, like contemplating suicide or whatever, like this is all in some can be read in some sense like an attempt to gain, uh, I don't know, whatever power but when we say power like it's not just pity i think that it's a, uh, it's directly related to the lines associated with like potency and sexual potency which come during that conversation she like mocks him mm-hmm. and when he and when he pins her to the floor the fact that there's no reaction serves to make him even more impotent because like you'd imagine like if he truly posed a threat to her that guy would get mm-hmm. involved he would mm-hmm. pull him off um and so like the you know he this guy you know uh, Peter's feeling like truly impotent mm-hmm. by a- after all this because his suicide attempt doesn't work either. Yeah, and uh, and 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 they uh they the guy I, my favorite line from that one guy was uh like you've had your moment. I think he said something like you've already yeah, had your yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 yeah. I thought yeah. that was really good. And he he also says he also says it would be honorable to jump. Like he like he mocks says, him. He mocks him before he's decided not to jump that he's mm-hmm. not going to. You know he says like yeah. uh. It is absolutely honorable to jump, but it's inhuman to torture one's fellow man. Yeah. I don't know. It's so crazy because, like, it's crazy because we've seen him kill someone in the first, like, two minutes, you know? So, like, everything, everything, we're viewing it through the lens of, like, the actual, like, what's actually at stake here. Yeah. Or something like that. And so. Is this the real, is this the real Joker? Can you, can you read that line again, Troy? (laughs) Is this the true insult, right? You know. Uh, yeah, he says, um, it is absolutely honorable to jump, but it's inhuman to torture one's fellow man. Dude, in, in neither case does he have any agency. If he does the honorable thing, like, honor is tied to this, like, social, con- you know, yeah. this, like, social idea of what is honorable. And in the yeah. case where he hurts other people, in neither case is it about his own subjectivity. That's so funny. Yeah. Like, no yeah. matter what choice he makes, it's for someone else and not him. That's yeah. like everything about the scene is so castrating. And then later, yeah, yeah. he says, uh, "He says, shut up, Peter. You had your scene already." But, and that's yeah. why, and that's, and that is like one reason why there's some, like, there's like an extreme bar on him is that there, like, there is no route where he actually attains some level of like efficacy or something like that, potency. Yeah. Like, and you know, even the in the fantasy of you know, clearly his fantasy is gaining potency by killing his wife or something like that. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, you know, like there's no, there's literally no avenue that's presented to him, you know, in life or like in that situation where but, he can adopt some sort of agency. But in the um, following scene when they're in bed together and Katarina is like sulking, uh, wouldn't you say that at that moment, like he is in the position of power when he is like, you know, totally shucking her off? Uh, he He tries to. Yeah, that's like yeah. his final attempt. But I think that I don't think he's actually in any sort of position of power. Well, yeah. I think it's an interesting conversation. Well, it's like he's only no. This is the thing. He's only in a position of power because Katarina has made the choice to be submissive. Like she's kind of claiming her own her own like power but in then, the relationship but, but he, by but, being but submissive through, through his acknowledgement of her attempt to do that through the play. Is mm-hmm. then again an attempt to over like to re- to remain in the powerful position, and that's right. why I see the that's why I still see the scene as like him actually is in power in that 
I mean, uh, I think it's super futile. No, yeah, I think it's you're right. About... That, that, that's a final. That's a final attempt. But it's clearly like, dude, he's pathetic. Dude, he's reading in bed. His wife's like fucking crying after he just tried to commit suicide. He's trying to say he's essentially above it all. Like, I think we're not meant to leave the scene feeling like he's in charge of something. Although he's trying desperately to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't. In, in the... I don't. Yeah, he. It's it's pure futility. He is so trapped. I mean, yeah, his right. whole com- apathy. Yeah, yeah his yeah, whole right, conversation right. is like, you know, she yeah, says I, something that sounds super heartfelt. You know, what do you think? You know, I think I'm thinking you're playing the record with the refrain. It was all my fault. Forgive me, my love. Whoever puts on that record first gets to be the best person. So they play this game, you know, and she's like all torn up. And he says this incredible game, incredible line, which I think lines up with the chess in the end. Um, uh, he says, remember the beginning of our marriage, how we tried? That's what she says. And he said, we had capital then. Capital in love, if you will. We've squandered it all and didn't get anything new. You know why? We accepted the rules of the game without any talent for playing it. We were cheated. And then he talks about how, like, once he gets old and can't do anything, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but, yeah, it's like, uh, whatever. Yeah, basically he says, you know, we can't talk to each other. Like, we're totally unable to do it. We cannot connect. And anything we say is just a weapon later. Blah, 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 blah. He's, yeah. Right. And so I think, though though you could read the scene where he gains some level of power over her, maybe, I don't know, or something similar to that. I think ultimately, though, the what's important to Hammer Home is he's not attempting to gain potency, like, about her. Like, his his desire for, like, agency is about this third object, this, like, big other, this feeling of extreme. Like, she's she's simply, like, uh, a representation of it and like so it becomes like metonymically linked with like this uh to kill her would be to appeal to this third thing and show this third thing which is the other god this ethereal impossibility or something like that to kill her would be to prove one's agency for it and i think at the end when he's reading and he's all apathetic it really is like a submission to that to this big daddy you know to this to this mm. third thing and so, like, it's not really, like, a him versus her power struggle. It is much more him versus third thing and then various well, things standing for that. But he definitely Yeah, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a power struggle also because she's already submitted. Like, she's, she's, she has, mm. like, of her own will become powerless. You know what I mean? Like, so she's, she's actually, she's, like, she's the one expressing some kind of real autonomy in that situation. Well, within the frame of the that game. That can't have. Right. Within the frame of the game, she has, you know, subdued herself, but he is refusing to play. He wants to, well, like, his right. his battle is with yeah. the game itself, or with this, right. like, third, you know, this more metagame right. situation. But I just want to say, also, I think, I think there is this third thing, right, and there is a much more broad, like, agency issue at hand. I mean, you know, all paths are barred. But I do think he wants, there's something very relationship-oriented in, like, to love one another... And, like, they come closer together, and she talks about how she carries him inside her, and, like, they want just this constant, like, almost visual idea of connection, but the body, you know, you know, like like Tim talks about, where he says he's obsessed with being close to someone, and by close, he means extremely, and the body itself is a barrier, like, he wants to merge souls or whatever, and Peter and Katarina both want to possess each other in, in this, like, totally unifying way, but cannot do it, and then... I think this this situation in which they cannot, you know, this communicative thing 
is the thing that mm-hmm. Peter is resign like he resigns out of the attempt and into the battle with this connective issue. Well, the connective issue I see I I think you're correct in that, but I think the connective issue is like the nature of subjectivity, like this third the third thing. That's what yeah, I'm talking yeah, the, about. Well, that very thing. Yeah, right. The communicative, right, she, the communicative, the connective. Right, right, right. So I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want to throw in it's not just this other thing. Like he, I think we have the sense he really does want her. Oh, and she yeah, of obviously course. Lo- like they both are just oh. fucking crazy for each other. Of course, yeah. But yeah, but the greater problem yeah. that emerges is yeah. the it becomes abstracted right. and abstracted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then this poor prostitute, Ka. Yeah, yeah, Katarina. Dude, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the first, the I love. I mean, yeah. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I You're feel as here. though like the whole prostitution like sequence or whatever is like. I mean, it becomes some kind of like, uh, like miniature of his life. You know, like you know, like he's, there's a whole like all paths are bars thing, and he's like trying to like get out. You know, and like her name's literally Katarina, and like. He's like trying to get out and all the doors are locked and then he's forced into this situation where he has to either I mean where he can't claim any kind of autonomy and mm-hmm. um and she is totally I mean yeah she like goes to comfort him you know she's really nice. like she's totally submissive she does what she what he asks her to and then he uh yeah and then and then and then she be, tries to like be actually like empathetic, like truly empathetic, and then he just keeps yeah. Like, I yeah. think there's something to be said, like because like they're in a setting that's very like fantasy like, uh, like it's the only part that's in color. It is to stage. Like, there's sort of yeah. I was just about to say that there's a stage. Um, prostitutes is sort of like a you know the whorehouse is a bit like a fantasy land type mm. atmosphere, and then so everything is then set for him to play out this fantasy um yeah and he right loses control. and then she's and then she even says like now you sleep or something like that and then he then it begins right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he has like he's he touches her and he's about to she touches mm-hmm. yeah. i think it's all about the touch the thing that sets him yeah. off as the psychiatrist well, yeah yeah but yeah and he doesn't the, want okay, yeah. yeah i want to go slower through this whole if we're going to talk about the the thing no yeah sorry i mean um, i just yeah first of all the second you know prostitution place um, like the second time we see it, you know, it's in black and white and stuff. Uh, it's so bodily, right? It's so the the first girl dancing. You know, now I don't know exactly what Bergen was thinking and what the what the, the social attitudes were like at the time, but she has a very like bodily body. If this makes sense, yeah. Like it's <laughs> wait, wait. Would you say are you ta- are you describing the black and white portion when the mu- w- that it cuts to some not intern when it when the when Katarina is though his wife is talking to the mother and then right before it changes to the next scene, it's uh talk, it's like, it's when, like he a go, flash when he gets to the when he gets to the brothel. Cause and there's the, like the, the close up shot the of the body sequence, like dancing with the music. Yeah, the opening sequence like is just the murder part, but when it opens up and him going into the brothel. And it's him looking through the thing at the woman dancing. It's some third person on the stage doing a very, like, super unenthusiastic dance. Mm-hmm. You know, she's on her background. I'm just yeah, saying it that didn't, woman. It didn't yeah. look fabulously attractive. Yeah, it's not glamorous. And I, and, but I, I no, couldn't yeah. tell if that was, like, you know, the 80s or if or if that was intentional. Well, I think there's what, what definitely is intentional 
is the woman is clearly doing a job. There's clearly a disconnect between the behavior and the, uh, you know, the, the person inside, right? Mm-hmm. She's sort of like basically dead-faced and like basically going through these like super like yeah. gyratic motions uh, and all this stuff. And yeah, the body is not exactly glamorously lit. You know, you can see all these things. Um, anyway, so I think there's anyway. The, I think the whole pro- the whole pro- part of the prostitute thing is like this is these are these are women at least within this context who the body has been sacrificed, right? And all they have is the soul. And so, like, maybe this this disconnect, right? Because what he wants is to conquer, I think, a soul. Because, like, uh, uh, yeah, like, the, the, the body's been sacrificed for, as some sort of commodity, right? But the women have these souls, and they're clearly disjointed, as, like, this first performance suggests. And also, when she takes him to the stage, you know, to copulate, and he says, no, 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 like, stand over there. And he just wants to eviscerate her with his eyes. And she's like... You know, and she's clearly uncomfortable. And he says, you know, haven't, you know, don't they do worse things to you? She says, you know, this is the worst, right? Mm-hmm. Because like he has crossed the threshold, passed the body into like the, the soul, you know, the thing he's going mm. to possess. Um, mm. So I'm just saying, I, I think like the point of why prostitute, other than this incredible, like you get this chance for an incredible setting where it's it's on the stage and it's this super fantasy discotheque, whatever. Uh, but you, yeah, just this huge disjoint between the body and soul, and like a clear indication of like what he wants to truly possess in the end. Like he he can get past the body, whereas like uh, that seems to be an issue with him and Katarina. I agree that everything you laid out is like really striking, but I, like my my understanding was not that he just wanted the soul. Like he really wanted a blending of the two. He wanted like total owner. Like yeah, for instance, he had his wife's. In some sense, we are led to believe, well, it kind of, there's scenes which seem pretty off, but in general, I thought that we were led to believe that, that like, he actually has her soul slash she has his soul, because remember, when they're in the psychiatrist's office, she says something like, we've had, we've cheated on each other before, mm-hmm. but I love him, like, I give my life to him, like, he's there with me everywhere I go, mm-hmm. like, I think is one of the lines, he's with me everywhere I go, or something like that, and mm-hmm. so I thought that he had some level of a soul connection, mm-hmm. um, and and he and then she even says something like you know and this was this was crazy to me she says something like you know the sex sex we have is like good or something like that yeah, it's the best she says that cheating right right and then um you know and then though she makes fun of him for his impotence during that one scene she still says something like he's made me come like 500 times but like or like 800 times but 500 times i've had to fake it or something yeah. like that well Some and then number the, like. and, but then the other ones were not good they're like oh yeah they were fine yeah, but i squeaked right. down right okay yeah I, but, but my point simply being that the prostitute is not just meant to be this like romance or soul conquer. I think it really is like he wants to conquer a total subject. He want and like mm-hmm. he wants her physical flesh uh, as well as uh, her soul. He wants everything. Um, and I think we get that something about that's communicated by both like having this intimate moment. And then, like, the fact that he has sex with her after she's dead, there's something yeah. to that as well. Yeah, I want to totally walk you back. I think you're super right. I think my commentary is still poignant in some sense, but not to the end that I clearly made. Because, I mean, yeah, yeah he has anal sex with her corpse. Uh, mm-hmm. Clearly relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just a dash of, like, or just want to add, like, that the the brothel, I think, is sort of aptly described by the psychiatrist as this place of all things permitted, like you know, he can exit the social realm 
like much better and become this right. sort of you know no holds barred uh type of thing pun intended mm-hmm. I'm still barred <laughs> um I don't know. What were you going to say? Well, uh, I was just going to say uh, <laughs> earlier on um, that actually, never mind. I don't know. I don't know if we, I don't know. If we, I, well, okay. What, up. What's up with like, what's up with like the whole, like uh, <laughs> the whole, the whole, uh, like her being some kind of like fashion designer, you know? Cause like we spend like this enormous amount of time on like this imagery of, of like the with the yeah with the people like spinning around and stuff it's so dreamy and so good i don't know something is so like mesmerizing about it but i mean i, I don't know if there's more like thematically going on about like her profession versus his profession. boys versus girls boys we they work with trucks and equipment and they make the world turn <laughs> women they just like clothing <laughs> no i do i agree dude i love uh, his like when we see his profession, that sequence is so awesome. Oh, it's oh okay, wait, wait, wait. It's so okay. awesome. visually, visually yeah. something that happens Crazy that room. I that I didn't that I didn't uh, acknowledge or like notice the first two times I watched it is he starts like his kind of monologue of like these like really huge sounding negotiations or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it started with like this panning up shot of this like absurdly huge building, like. I mean, it make like the shot makes it look gigantic, yeah. giant, and then and then it cuts, yeah, 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 exactly. And then he and then it cuts, and and then he, it's this close up of his hands, and it's the same like panning up motion of his hands going up this lamp, and there's some kind of like massive. I mean, there's this imagery of him kind of like owning this yeah. gigantic very like, thing and being in total total control of this huge thing and yeah it's and it's erotic dictating. the way he touches he's the lamp to the secretary yeah. she's writing it down Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i mean it's like this this it's just like this the whole scene he comes off as extremely powerful and it's mm-hmm. all set up like visually and yeah that he's dictating this thing to this woman and it's all set up to to kind of put him in like this ultimately powerful position and yeah the way he touches the lamp troy you're saying is like really sensual like yeah, the way feminine. he's like, touching like what is what is yeah. the big brain steven what is the what is the uh counterpart to phallic well i don't know there is it's the phallus wow dude i got you we don't no, need to i don't th- i don't phallus. think there's a direct there's not a direct opposite, okay but that's but... what i want to say the, the lamp is like this feminine object both i think the way he touches it and kind of the i don't know if this is way crazy but the way it looks anyway yeah, he's got he's got yeah. all sorts of domination in this situation, like on some kind of economic social level. He's dominating the secretary. He's like at the peak aptitude. Like he's just sitting there walking around, dictating right. crazy complex ide- like ideas and like totally moving. You know, he's he's he, you know he's a world mover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he touches well, this but, lamp. It's, but uh, but clearly. And that's the great thing about the phallus is it is pathetic and weak and ultimately can be shown to be nothing more than lacking. And I think that this scene does that very well because clearly he's in this powerful state, but we know how incredibly, uh, you know, broken he is and how it is all essentially like an illusion. You know, it's all a uh, what's the word? Uh, facade? Uh, well, facade's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, there's like a masquerade versus something else distinction, but I'm forgetting the other one. But uh, and it's not masquerade. But uh, <laughs> masquerade versus oh, masquerade. it's Im- imposture. Imposture. He's he's trying to. It, there's something about the uh, so like you might think the feminine. Oh, maybe this is great for the distinction between the two works. The feminine, and this is like a Todd McGowan idea. The feminine is uh, interested in the masquerade. They don't um, like try to. It would be like wearing a hat, okay? Versus okay. the uh, versus the imposture wears a toupee. The toupee is meant to cover up a lack, and it's meant to blend in as if nothing is wrong. Mm. And it is a mechanism of hiding. The hat, however, is a system whereby you essentially announce a potential lack, um, or you 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 know you might you might embellish something that is lacking, but wear it flauntingly, and that's a more feminine approach to fashion and things like that. Um, and uh yeah it's just so so i think if we think about the woman's career versus his career i suppose i oh okay i actually think there's something interesting here because each of them actually adopts some position of the phallus and maybe that's the, an extremely contradictory that's a maybe perhaps an extreme problem between their relationship right right like 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 she's clearly like this you know domineering powerful woman in the career in woman. job career woman but also clearly in in her relationship she uh she desires she wants the other's desire right she wants something that he wants um uh, let me walk that back let me walk a lot of this back and simply and (laughs) simply say and simply say that the Building is a great demonstration of the phallus. Okay. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, building looked well, like wiener. <laughs> well, could, I, wiener. could I also say, uh, just to bolster the uh, like feminine nature of the lamp or whatever, I mean, the um, and him touching or whatever, is that those shots, I think, are called back to or reflect or are like replicated with the shots of him touching her body in the dream. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's the exact I mean, he's same. touching it. He's touching it in the exact same way. Yeah. 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 I love this commentary about if there's just a gap here, um, this comment that Bergman maybe, okay. I generally think it's wrong to talk about, you know, what directors say, but, um, and we've talked about this, uh, Brody and I have dueled over this idea, but uh, where do we where do we have this? Uh, Katarina Katarina has a this is when they're fighting, which also by the way, like I mean Peter kicking her in the face. Uh, yeah, so so crazy, <laughs> so crazy. Um, we sort of talked about that briefly. This is so performative. The guy is totally just an audience member. Uh, anyway, um. Peter says, you know, he's like choking her. And he says, Katarina has a lifelong contract with the objective real truth of the world. Partly it's because she's a woman and as such is entitled to a certain blood and soil insight. Partly it's because she's Katarina. Just this type of like, um, like Peter's disconnect from the emotional life and, uh, and like this sort of hatred or envy of Katarina's seemingly allegedly better connection given that she's a woman with well also because i think she she well i think i think that she like 
uh, flaunts that she's like in control and in touch with her uh, like inner inner life or whatever, um, and, and like kind of waves that in front of Peter, you know, like I have this and you don't, and then but would she clearly? I mean, she admits that she doesn't like with the Tim. I mean the main the main conversation is the one with Tim with the screaming of the soul and all this. But the same thing I, when they I have think, the con- this this is getting more to my point with the idea that they both have the phallus. There's some like but regardless of that point, I think uh her interactions and the way she interacts with him regarding the mother, uh his mother, you know. And how she doesn't want to visit her. She's like an old lady or whatever, you know, and things like that. And it's very important to him. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of lenses you could put on before you look at that whole situation. Um, but I think one is actually like an extreme failing on her part uh, to like recognize like uh, the you know the importance of the situation to her husband. Um, and I think that it's a very like I don't see that as like a traditionally like powerful like in touch with her emotions moment instead she like drinks herself mm-hmm. you know she drinks yeah. by herself until she's you know awakened or like called by the her gay friend tim and then she's like forced into recognizing how she's failing as like an emotive agent you know mm-hmm. i think we can be, it can be a little bolstered by you know in the subsequent scene when they're in bed and she is like trying to continue to play the communication game yeah. You know, but he is like abstracted away from that. I think this could be like a little bit of her like you know, she's still trying to you know, engage in the emotional life. Mm-hmm. Uh and he's not. But yeah, there's definitely I definitely agree that like the two Katarina and him are like for lack of a better term, both have the phallus and like are both these sort of aggressive um like conquering people, but it it just affects them differently given you know man and woman and things like this and there's also something i don't know maybe we want to talk about all the gay all the homosexual content um yeah like why is it relevant that like well tim i love tim he's so awesome funny and insightful his his interaction with the investigator i think is like just phenomenal but yeah like why 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 is it important that he's gay and like is you know if they both have the phallus are are, are you know well is katarina are they in a, are they in a it, homosexual relationship like the the psychiatrist sort of identifies and 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 tim also basically alleges that 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 peter is homosexual i think that uh Tim's statement when he says something, it's not about being feminine, you know, gay, like some us gays are like this. It's not about being feminine. It's it's about uh, being in tune with our emotions. I think it's actually like wrong. It's about them being more feminine, mm-hmm. but whatever. Um, but, and that's like fine. That's like still like, you know, you know, it's not like a negative quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I think there's, I think him being a man and gay is important insofar as it shows like this uh the it shows a more uh open lens or like open frame as far as male female logic as opposed to simply just a man is a man a woman is a woman so clearly he adopts something similar uh to like a virgin mary idea or like some sort of like beneficent madonna character um and i think there's something cool about that 
in the sense that he is a gay man uh, and adopts relatively feminine attributes, such as, you know, Virgin Mary attributes. And uh, uh, whereas I think she, you could make an argument that she, uh, Katerina, at various times is adopting a much more like typically like male logic, masculine oriented uh, approach to life and relationships. Um, so I don't know. I see, I see some sort of importance him being a gay man as a, uh, I don't know, showing like the, the more, the fluid aspect of gender and psyche or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's a bit in like an in-between state mm-hmm. or like, Ooh. <laughs> um, do you think do you think his like uh his like monologue in the mirror or whatever um where he talks about like uh i mean what do you think it says about him with the um and like how this applies to the other characters as well like when he's looking in the mirror and he says he gives this whole speech about uh feeling like a child and opening his eyes and seeing or like uh, not just feeling like a child he he says almost like he knows that he's a child or something he looks in the mirror and he's not or something like this. I mean, yeah, some kind of, I mean, yeah, that's just another example I feel like of like, uh, the disconnect between like, like the soul and the, the material, uh, part of the, the, the subject or something like this. Um, oh. but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel as though that, 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 that is that, that conversation or that monologue or whatever is, is exclusively about Tim. You know what I mean? But I don't really know like how it applies to other people you know what i mean bro Mm -hmm. mind body distinction (laughs) they figured that out like 400 years ago john (laughs) (laughs) uh if we're interested i can read a little bit i think tim gives maybe the best in film description of the situation in his like mirror dialogue or monologue um being close yeah not not the whole thing just choose okay fine i'll just i'll just choose it is quite a a long well, it's so good. He he talks about autonomy. He talks about <laughs> the mind body. He talks about. We should just watch the movie for the first like two thirds of the podcast. All right, hold on. Let me just then... read the movie real quick. Um, okay, fine. I'll just excerpts. Yeah, pick some chunks that are juicy. Some juicy chunks. I like when he calls himself like he's trying to reduce. When Peter in the bed, he's like saying he's trying to reduce himself to hamburger meat, or something yeah. like this. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like that yeah. matches the world around him. Yeah. Uh Reddit movie details actually pointed out hamburgers come from Germany. So this is actually a subtle homage mm. to the f- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Anyway, so let's see. He says uh you All know, I don't uh, it's aging so against itself, decay, forces I can't handle. You know, I'm controlled by forces. I can't control doctors, lovers, pills, drugs, alcohol, work, nothing helps. They're secret forces. Um, And then he also, and I noticed that in combination, oh, I lean towards the mirror and look into my face, which is quite familiar to me. And I noticed that combination of blood, flesh, nerves, and bone, two completely incompatible, I don't know how to call it, two incompatibles, the dream of closeness, tenderness, community, obliviousness of all things. And on the other side, violence, disgrace, terror, threat of death. Sometimes I believe all this has the same origin. I don't know. Uh, and he also says, like, closeness is a dream. Uh, I love... And then and then we have the uh, the uh, sort of investigator interview scene. But yeah. Anyway, Tim is obviously poignant. 
the, the investigator scene i really like i really like it's so funny it's so good the the, the dialogue between them is is really um fun yeah it's yeah it's so beginning. entertaining i love when he when he like tells him to turn off the recording or whatever yeah. and then he like flips the mic around yeah he yeah, like reaches yeah. forward and flips around <laughs> yeah. and then puts his hand back in his lap it's so like it's, so it's such a i'm a creative <laughs> well yeah tim <laughs> is so sassy gay man he, yeah he's spicy yeah. gay man he's so theatrical he's awesome yeah he's so theatrical and it's awesome in that whole thing and the interviewer totally becomes an audience and i think likes it you know he's looking at him and he smiles and the interviewer seems like a pretty genuinely nice guy you know he has to ask the questions and he's like i'm sorry being rude and tim's like i'll try to believe you you know but then tim (laughs) like struts around he's being all poetic and he's like what's he say he you know oh yeah (laughs) we need to ask your name to avoid mistaking you for someone else absolutely impossible Mm -hmm. anyway so then he's like uh blah 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 Anyway, but he's like, but that's only half the story. It, like, it's this, you know, total storytelling moment. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was he? <sighs> well, I like, I like that it's so theatrical, but he comes off as being completely honest the entire time. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. like, there's no way to be, you're like, you're not, like, annoyed with the theatrics because it seems as though he's actually trying to express something honestly and, and as directly as he can. Something that might be worth pointing out is, like, I actually found, like, a really stark contrast between his monologue with Katarina, Katarina and the uh, the investigator. Like, something about him mm-hmm. makes him more, like, powerful and more commanding. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, and then yeah, because yeah, he's, like, he's you know, within... Sort of, like, a co-worker and a friend, almost, like, vulnerable, but here he's, like, look at me, like, I'll fucking tell you how it is, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's, like, within his, like, social space, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's entered into the world and, like, is, uh, uh, I mean, he's performing out like the, his role or whatever that he's yeah. defined and for like he's, he's a big boss like, which i didn't really know he's like you know tim like that's my name like you can't mistake around me, the like, world yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well i, I my yeah. name's tim <laughs> <laughs> i agree totally except for the vulnerability i think it's like two different versions of vulnerability because i think in the performance as it goes on i mean it looks like he's about to cry and he's like no yeah he's like totally vulnerable. being he's being He's being more honest with the investigator than he is with, you know, Katarina. He he admits to wanting Peter for himself and trying to undermine the relationship and things like this. Anyway, but yeah, like the the performances thing. He says, um, so he tells the first part of basically how he ended up bringing together the prostitute Ka and Peter, and he says that's the whole story. That's the truth. Yet not even half of it. I was furious with Katarina, and then he kind of does, you know, he goes a little deeper. And he talks about how he wants to possess Peter and uh, he, you know, please excuse me for putting it so dramatically. I just have a guilty conscience. Conscience. I blame my homosexuality for it, but I think that's a joke. No, yeah. And then it's starting to get really interesting, don't you think? The truth is I wanted Peter for myself, of course, but I understand that. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like, you know, some kind of like CSI, you know, like he's playing this, (laughs) he's playing, he's playing into the whole investigator, investigated, like type of thing and he says it again it's an homage to csi (laughs) and i liked i liked the feeling that he where he talks about how you know emotionally peter was a dying man just like a man can die from hunger thirst or loss of blood i knew i could save him i wish that he would come looking for me that he would want to be close to me uh and and earlier this language is used i think multiple times of like uh, like Katerina in the psychiatry office says she wants to be discovered by him and she wants to discover him. And this type of like, 
you know, like once, like, like, you know, you, you just imagine, you know, some like uh, nice guys, like if only she knew the real me, you know, I could save her from her, you know, Twitch donations or something like this, you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, just some, some, the saving thing anyway. Um, um, and I wonder if it's true. I wonder if Tim could have saved him. Yeah, you get the impression that, like, he might have been able to or something, you know, just because, yeah. like, he, he seems he seems so genuinely committed to it in a way that, and, there, and the thing is, like, obviously you don't get, like, a ton of time with Tim, so you don't get to see if there's some kind of disconnect the same way there is with Katarina between her want to become one with Peter or whatever and her, like, enacting of, or, like, kind of adoption of the phallus or whatever, you know, which... Uh, th that's what I'm curious about is do you think that like the as far as like I, I mean I see I see Katarina's problem with um like her inability to connect with Peter um I mean is it purely this adoption of like wanting to control and things like this like within like when they talk to each other and wanting to kind of like piss him off and take off take on some kind of dominant role that kind of uh, pushes him away because i mean i feel like that's kind of her main her her main like roadblock as far as like her main internal roadblock in her ability to connect with peter is to is that she is uh she like does all of this kind of like dominance like controlling of peter or whatever or like trying to control peter and piss him off like with the saying she uh they go to dinner and she like kind of brags about him groping her or whatever and how she like gropes this other guy like openly or whatever and like laughs about it and then later whenever whenever it comes to suddenly peter will sh say something like about him like in that scene in particular he says something about being sick or something, and then she immediately like doubles down on being like genuine and like vulnerable. Like it seems like some kind of some kind of persona is like dropped or something, and that but she's already like dug herself too deep in this like uh, controlling uh, uh, persona that she has like developed or something. <clears throat> um, so I think that pointing out the grope thing was actually really important because I think she points that out. Um, like the, I don't know, now I feel all bad for raising the term phallus because phallus, like, can take on a lot of different meanings. Um, but one meaning is not, like, simply control, but is mm -hmm. um, to have the desire of the other. So, from, like, a Lacanian idea. So, like, uh, if the father has a phallus, the father has a penis. And the baby wants to understand what, what, and the baby wants the mother. She's like, she becomes essentially like the other, the big other during an infant's life. This is like the psycho, the developmental, psychodevelopmental idea. Um, and so the baby attributes the reason that the mother wants the father at some point more than the baby, or the reasons why the mother would choose time with the father over the baby or tell the baby no in preference to the father. Um, is supposed to localize that in the phallus and it doesn't have to be a penis but rather it's this abstract idea of although the penis takes on a great metaphorical link you know it like clearly can represent this very well but the phallus is simply this thing which something else has 
that what I want desires or what the other desires. So, um, to to so for instance, this grope scene is actually a, an instance where she is trying to claim that she has what the others desire. She has the phallus that they grope her, and she's like laughing about it, like it's you know, like she has. It, it's a very like masculine flaunting of sexuality. When a man when a man flaunts his sexuality, you might say that he's presenting the phallus because he says something like, "Dude, she was all on me. Dude, she saw these guns and she just wanted me. You know, and so she was rubbing me." And so like there, it makes sense because uh, what this guy has is the desire of the other, but localized in like you know the guns, the penis, etc. You know, but uh, in her case, it's it's her body. You know, because she's being groped, and so she she even references the fact, and she uses it against him. She uses it as a means of like create, making him an impotent, putting him in an impotent position by claiming, you know, essentially she is adopting like this phallic authority, like that she has mm. what others desire. Mm. Um, mm. And I think this also uh, is really important. And I just now thought of it, the connection between um, Tim and her, uh, the fact that Tim desires the same thing that what that she desires and she desires what Tim desires. And that is him. And that is Peter. And there's something really funny about that dynamic um, because it actually puts Peter in the position of uh, like of simply like the object and what other people desire, you know, like he becomes mm. in some sense a phallus for Tim and for mm. her and that each of them hopes to uh, ultimately obtain him. And they also seek to unify themselves with him. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's obviously ironic and silly because he's clearly in an impotent position. And maybe that's to convey some ultimate idea about like the extremely limited nature of the phallus because the phallus is also um, often understood to be like this crazy lacking thing. The scepter, like for instance, do you think like any man's power truly comes from their penis? No. Does any man's power come from anything like the scepter, the crown? No. It does. It, it comes from like this. <laughs> it, comes, it comes from the system that subtends it, right? Yeah. It comes from it comes from the culture, everybody's ascription to value of that thing. It itself has no power in itself. Like the crown is only valuable if we give it value, you know, and things like that. Um, so there's like it. So like the phallus is understood as inherently lacking, but it, even though it tries desperately not to be. Hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay. So so do you think Katarina's like main problem with like being able to? Uh, connect with peter um like outside of what peter does to keep her from connecting is some kind of is like the adoption of this like role or whatever in the relationship well i mean imagine your girlfriend had a penis <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think that plays a role yeah i don't know i i i don't know enough to make like a comprehensive claim about the relationship but i do think that the fact that she she seems really i actually think she's way more interested in unifying herself with him yeah than he is in unifying himself with her mm -hmm. yeah that because right yeah because that that cause, yeah because that's 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 like m the main thing that i've been like thinking about is that um so even from the beginning when you first get introduced to her like for reals not in his not in peter's fantasy um is when she comes into the psychiatrist's office and she does this whole kind of like sexual game with him, you know, like, Oh, you sleep with me. No, I blah, blah, blah. And then she, and then she's extremely honest and comes off as, I mean, like totally believable that what she's saying is true about her 
kind of interconnectedness with Peter and want for that. And then she displays that when after they have that that crazy argument where she like basically castrates him or whatever. And then they they go into the bedroom and she says, I felt as though that her there like that was the best attempt that anyone could possibly make in that situation to try to make a connection. So I feel like her as far it's at that point that it becomes obvious that the their inability to connect uh, comes down to uh, Peter. And that before that, it was this kind of back and forth, like both of them have this issue of like limiting themselves or whatever and being able to communicate. But at that point, she has kind of revealed herself to be aware of like her soul screaming and all of this and blah, 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 blah. And at this point, it's like there's nothing there's nothing more to explain it on her end of why they're they're unable to communicate or like become one or whatever. And mm-hmm. then that's and then from then on, it's like, um, yeah, it's on Peter or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's like some impossibility like she can't she can't just obtain it like she can't just obtain him. Uh, she did. That was her best case. I think though the point is it's not on Peter, though. Though I see what you're saying. Like she she puts it like she's she did everything she could. She gave her best effort to plead to him. Now the ball's in his court. Unfortunately though, as he's aptly under like ascertained, is that the ball is not in his court. You know he he actually has no agency. He is actually like this object adrift who is led by all these different things. You know he's all apathetic. He's like I'm. I can't go this way, I can't go this way, you know, whatever. Um, and there's something kind of funny about that. If you think of, if you think of, if we continue to see Peter as, as the phallus, as the object phallus, because he, um, you know, the phallus, as I said, like gains its power from the structures that subtend it. And so like, it is like, it is, because uh, it is only like a symbolic sort of authority. So like when all of these, um, you know constraints on his life when he becomes aware that he is just a phallus like he is just a symbol of authority but not actually has no actual agency it's almost like the phallus becoming aware of itself and it's like inherent lack and i think that is very much like his uh progression throughout the whole film is basically a recognition of his own eternal like lack in relation to ab- true like power or like agency or something like that um he is like he like sees himself very much as an object um like an object cool. to be had by her yeah. or by tim which is which is like when he talks about being like becoming one with like the world around him or whatever and being, right yeah, yeah the world yeah. around him, the material world as opposed to being as opposed to being a true subject that like mm. is distinct from the world he wants to immerse himself in the world like a hamburger patty you know he wants to mm. like you know he wants to be like part of germany yourself. and uh yeah that's yeah i think that's pretty accurate just on the topic of subjectivity i think it's relevant like when he describes his dream, which maybe we can talk about, and I love the dream. When he has this dream, at the end of it, right, it's sort of, it's very ethereal, it's very subjective, it's very, like, surreal. And sort of, like dreams are, you know, interpretable. Yet, at the end of it, you know, it's, you know, it's in the letter and we see him talking, sort of like in Winter Light. Um, you know, the, the letter is... Uh, verbalized by the woman writing it anyway 
he says, you know, I'm not going to look up the exact words, but it's like, can you help me? Can you save me? Like, like, what am I to do? Like, or not what am I to do? It's like, it's, it's as if it seems clear to Peter what this means. And it's like importance is evident, yet incommunicable outside of just a description of the dream. And looking to the psychiatrist to treat him. But I wonder mm-hmm. if he, I mean, it seems to think like he thinks the psychiatrist will understand. Or, or something like this. Or maybe this is, la- I mean, it's his last attempt to, you know, be saved. Um, I don't know. I just found that interesting. Yeah. But also, Dude, I, his... I wanted to get a quick question. Uh, is like, right, they're all marionettes. All paths are barred. Things like this. You know, what is the, you know, who is holding the strings, so to say? Like, what is this, you know, like, because I feel like it's time to get into the, or I want to get into this, like, overarching deterministic idea that mm-hmm. seems obviously central. Just just really quick, when he's, like, pleading or whatever, the psychiatrist in the letter, I love the way he, like, looks at the camera. Like, I don't know, it's just so desperate and so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, like, you, like, you want so bad for him to, like, get help or whatever you know at that point yeah in contrast uh, a relatively reserved performance for most of the time i mean it's it's mm-hmm. he's obviously like searing hot but you know it's a it's a you know it's a very constrained face yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's like it's like very it's very like uh I mean, weary, you know, like, it, it, like, like <laughs> as he describes or whatever, like, yeah. he, he's like exhausted, like he's at the yeah. very end of it. And like, yeah. his pleading is like, quiet, yeah. like, it's not, it's not like a scream. Or First whatever. words, I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry, we can, we can go back to that bigger, bigger picture. So who, yeah, who can, Steven, who's holding the, who's, who's the puppet master? What yeah, I think master? I think there essentially is no puppet master, right? Yeah, I think I I think it is I think it is like, <clears throat> you know, the big other, or if you want to if you want to tailor your definition to like a very particular type of god, it's God, it's it's like it is impossibility, it is reality, something like that. And you know, the real yeah, is and life itself. You know, and then to support that a little bit, but um. I'm forgetting the gay part of his name. Um, Tim. Tim. Tim uh, you know, mentions what it is that he's controlled by: alcohol, pills, and then like you know, his own well, he biology. Adds on, he adds no, on no, no, no. He, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't say. Okay, this is actually something I was gonna bring up earlier when Troy first brought it up. He says I'm like all by... these forces I'm controlled by, I'm con- and then he he states all of these things, and then he says that none of these do anything to solve the thing, which was actually I thought a really a really uh like clever way yeah, of like, like wording speed. it or whatever because mm-hmm. it's implied that these are the things that are controlling him and then he says none of these and then it he reveals that these are not the things controlling me these are the things i tried to use to control the things that control me or whatever yeah right the i'm and, controlled and by then, forces i can't then, control doctors lovers pills drugs alcohol work nothing helps they are secret forces and then yeah Kat, I mean, and then I, katarina in one of their in one of the earlier scenes in the movie uh mentions that um, when she's under the influence of alcohol, she's like always remains in control, and 
yeah, I suppose that's in the support of that same sort of idea. Yeah, controlled by what? Perhaps because he sees her as totally out of control. Right. Maybe well, she just like, feels like you a know, bag you're, in the you're, meant, you're supposed to like see this as something that's like, um, uh, you're skeptical that she's actually in control at all, like when she's under the influence of alcohol. Yeah. But like, is she addicted? Yeah. Right. Is she addicted? Mind, right? mm-hmm. But you know, then you could also say like she is then using it as an attempt to actually gain some sort of autonomy in some sort of roundabout way. Yeah, that's what he says too, in bed. He says, well, you know, I mean, I think she says it too. She, yeah, but yeah. Well, he says, yeah, to yeah, throw I mean, himself out of like, uh, what is Yeah, he? I mean, he says, oh, he says he, of... he'll drink alcohol and she's like, well, why would you do that or whatever? And then he says, in order to become the one. Yeah, I know with, that like, any disorder threatens my carefully thought out security system, she says. If it were like that, you wouldn't drink. I drink to work up the courage to throw my system out of order. What do you gain by doing that? I blow myself up. And what remains? A kind of ground meat from blood and nerves. It makes me resemble more closely the reality that surrounds me. Yeah, and there's something, yeah. and I think there's maybe something a little bit to be said about, you know, how alcohol releases inhibitions. Um, and then that could then release you from, you know, the big other or, or you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know other term to to say it. Super ego, something like that. It seems compatible to going to a brothel too. The the, the um, or comparable. The line when he says the uh, the like one thing about this kind of like the the big other or God or like whatever is in control, um, is that the film is not necessarily a uh, exploration of that thing necessarily, which. Um, I don't know. It, it what's common in Bergman films is like, I mean, in Winter Light specifically is what comes to mind. Is that like it's explicitly talked about as God, like it's within a religious framework, you know? And like I think in many Bergman films, he refers to like the thing in control as God and the thing that the people are trying to understand as being God. Versus like this is uh, that thing is never explicitly talked about, and these people are much more like modern people or something like that, and that it's more of an explanation of of their confusion at um it's like their confusion without ever like acknowledging the thing in any kind of explicit terms or something and like it puts it in a much more like scary like enigmatic space than it would be if like you were to put it in within like a uh the religious framework that bergman usually does and then the last thing i want to say is that the um I, i like the back to the line or whatever where the where tim says like love drugs alcohol like none of these things um i I like that these are all like things that are uh uh conceptually like graspable you know like you can explain and talk about them and and uh some of them are more material um or like have and like love has like a more material aspect or something like this and that like that the thing that he's trying to to uh, take control back from or whatever of like these secret forces that like uh, I mean they're all like that the secret forces are somewhat like uh, I mean they're like undefinable or something or unconceptualizable uh, yeah yeah totally I think and like uh, you might say they're even like it's the it's the it's like the thing that underlies language so like something once you know like god is a great 
but ultimately like uh lacking term and i think you're what you said about his other films using god i think that's totally correct where like god is used as the stand-in for what really is i think uh an examination of like the human subject's problems like in the nature of subjectivity i think mm-hmm. it's actually less about ever like god god but rather like you know and it's clearly not some like old fundamentalist idea of god or anything like that it's more like this extreme unknowingness that exists in you know a conscious or a subject or something like that um and uh yeah and in those films you know god you know is labeled and so there's something less scary about it in this one there's actually something very scary and i think it is uh the fact that it's not named and yeah that, uh, it, but ultimately i do believe it's it's the thing that sub you know the thing that subtends language the thing that's inherent to human subjectivity the thing that's like that we really can't actually slap a label to or even talk about we can only or like we can talk around it but we can't truly talk about it and that's like one that's like the big other yeah and i I think just to insert like the the bergman's view or whatever in what he's like exploring through his films and trying to communicate um he says explicitly somewhere uh something along the lines of like i have become much less interested in uh this like relationship to god and much more interested in like the human relationship or something like that, which what I like about this film and this film comes after a lot of like his heavy, like God, God, God movies. And, and so, but, but what I like about it is that it's like the, the, the concept that was in his earlier films as labeled as God is still present, but it's, but it's much more into the nitty gritty, much more ambiguous and harder to explain. Um, relationship aspect of these people as they deal with this overarching like undefinable concept yeah yeah yeah, like and this is at the same time in his career that i think he's either just or just after releases cries and whispers which is right in my mind a terrifying film and really is does the same thing right it's this it's this very ambiguous and thus much scarier god and i think this this sense of like what these characters are experiencing, especially Peter, where this control and this sense of deterministic and this, where all these qualities that can be ascribed to this thing that they're in search of or sort of pondering and trying to investigate is like all characterizations that one would apply to, you know, the intense anxiety experience. Like, like, uh, like you know, when in that state, it's as if, you know, you're contending with or at the mercy of or the situation you find yourself in is very like this does this make sense like this impending doom this you know lack of control and fear and ineffability of what exactly it is and yet it's so certainly the case um it's just i don't know like uh sort of like you know, investigation of what is so scary about this thing and and some type of right And, and and it's definitely not hell you know, it's not like it's not like it's not hell that people are scared of. Instead, yeah. it is the ambiguity. It is like the you know, it's it's a very modern conundrum, right? Yeah, like yeah, very, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very like it, it. His movies are like, and every time he uses God, like I've never ever seen a Bergman film and actually thought it was. You know, it's not about like, it's not. I've never felt like they're about faith or about like some yeah. traditional idea of God. It's always about a subject's relation to uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. is, and that's like a very modern issue. Um, and that like comes from the lack of 
truly like institutionalized and adopted faith structures and things like that. And that's in like, so in some sense, like Bergman is a very modern, you know, modern movie maker. And super. Like, yeah. yeah. Super modern. Um, like in the technical sense. Uh, right. Well, I also, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, modern, I know you mean like contemporary, right? Well, I, no, I mean, modern in the sense that, um, you know, a post-God world. Yeah, like... A, like a post-God of, human subject. Like the you classic know? existential dilemma. Something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this movie gets it... I think this movie presents a case where it's that thing... I think this movie gets at it better than his other movies because it doesn't use the term God. Um, but that's not to say that you can't get at it very well with his other movies and God, but that there's something, like, especially, like elusive about like the problem in this movie like i think the whole time i'm like you know i'm like what the f like there you don't there is no like it's so weird because there is no like problem there's no like yeah. actual conflict just and the human problem things are so bad you know yeah mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. that's and that's like a very oh you know, oh yeah. and and it's like these so you know how we're talking about like all these people or whatever, like the, the guy who comes over and is the audience or whatever after he tries to commit suicide or might commit suicide or whatever. Um, like everybody's kind of like denying of like his subjectivity. What they're also denying is this, uh, is the problem and how it relates to the ambiguity that is causing it mm -hmm. or whatever. And that like everybody's kind of like signed on to the, uh, uh, the, the, this like, um whatever their kind of like analytic model or whatever it is yeah to to model this ambiguity and um and right yeah i mean yeah i mean yeah. It, we could circle back around to like the psychiatrist uh yeah. his like final diagnosis or whatever it's almost exactly like, it's almost like the right. impetus for seventh continent where like yeah you know, thought, hanukkah yeah hanukkah well, reads yeah. hanukkah reads about the newspaper where the this family you know did this huge ritual and committed suicide and like the thing just says, oh, they were like, give some kind of like, you know, two cents explanation. And he's like, what? You know, in the same yeah, way, like yeah. no one, no one almost kills themselves because, you know, they can't get hard in bed, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, and yet like, uh, yeah, it, it, it's like everyone in the, in the, in the film has this sort of blind spot when it comes to like the existential anxiety of like the human condition, except for Peter who can't seem to tell anyone about it and peter's and, peter's hope to escape is the exact same as the seventh continent yeah his goal is to to enter the material right and, just yeah. as the family wanted mm -hmm. to dissolve mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and, I, and i think there's also mm -hmm. like something to be said about even the incompetence of the psychiatrist's answer to all of these problems as well you know mm -hmm. yeah no definitely and i think i think yeah, I mean, I think clearly, like his uh, his explanation is um, is compelling because it doesn't acknowledge the ambiguity. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, his explanation is obviously fundamentally flawed in this aspect. You just relate, you know, you just said um, yeah. Tim's uh, Tim's solution is to have you know his hope was that he could obtain Peter. Katarina's hope was that she could obtain Peter. You know, Peter's Peter thinks that he might just dissolve into the world, and the psychoanalyst like provides this like you know really lame explanation. He doesn't really provide a solution, although he does say earlier on like I could make I could wipe away your identity. You know, 
And that is in some sense what he wants. You know, what Peter ultimately desires is to enter the material or something like that. Um, so in some sense, I guess he does posit a solution. But each solution seems like it ultimately is. Like, we, we as spectators know that none of these solutions are actually viable, and they all seem like a bad, you know, yeah, a bad Yeah, and like all of them seem like the effectively the same as, like, dying, really. You know, to either remove the self, literally kill yourself, and then even in jail, like, you know, he isn't, he isn't really much of anything in that place. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say is like, with all of this in mind, like, what does Peter become, you know, like the final shot is of like this teddy bear or something, you know, and he's like, I mean, he, he's like reduced to something. I mean, and like, and that it's like, obviously, like childlike, which takes us back to kind of like Tim's whole, I see like the child in myself and, or like, I am a child and I feel like a child and then I open my eyes and there's like an incompatibility and two incompatibles and stuff. So, I mean, I, I don't know if there's like, I think there's obviously some kind of thematic connection there and with what Peter kind of becomes in the psych ward. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what does Peter ultimately become within this kind of framework we've built? I'm not exactly sure. I do want to comment on the chess as some kind of like, you know, coming back to his, explicate like him telling katarina like we we chose a game like we we committed to a game whose rules we didn't understand and we aren't good at playing it and like we're cheated uh which is honestly kind of a good like analogy for the general situation not just for the relationship but like of course yeah right just like for life in general or something and mm -hmm. and chess is like a, a game in which the rules are extremely well defined and mm -hmm. you know he can now focus on a game of a much more material simple level like the world he wants to inhabit um the teddy bear i don't know if i'm looking into it but he kind of holds the crotch of the teddy bear uh just as a note but also in katarina i feel like the ending just if we're talking about the ending like i feel like she ends up in a sort of tragic situation in which you know she's telling the mother they have this little back and forth um and she says something along the lines of like i feel like now i understand him like now like i feel like i'm finally alive and I understand what he's going through. And so in some sense, you want to say, okay, yeah, now you're in, now, now, like all these, you know, emotional pseudo, you know, pseudo social structures have been like, you know, wiped away. And now you're, you're this animal in this world, like Peter felt like, um, but at the same time, this like sense of understanding Peter, whether he's in psych, like just, uh, just before, like, just like before he was in the psych ward can never be confirmed or communicated or. You know, so right. it's like, I, is she act, is she deluded? Does she actually that, get it? That the last thing you said actually makes it even it's it's even stronger to her point that she understands more so that she can't ah, communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also see the shot. She's instead of him, who several times is looking through something at her at mm -hmm. at her as wife. Um, instead, she is looking through the window frame at mm -hmm. uh, at her husband. Um, and so there is some sort of like swapping of roles or at least an adoption of a similar role that, uh, and she used to, I don't know, maybe romance was her game and she was playing it really seriously. And he used to be involved in that to some degree. Um, but it was more like he wanted to not be involved and he would watch her from a distance. And he was always like more apathetic relative to her in terms of the relationship, I think. And, um, and now that he is the one playing a game, the game may be like, like in this sense, analogous to the romance. She can now watch how he's invested in this game, this very material game, this very obvious game, um, in a way that he was observing her interested in the romance that he wasn't necessarily. 
chaotic yeah, I, romance. Yeah, I think this is a great success story for Peter in that he has communicated. He's done it. No, oh, I'm yeah, not, I'm yeah, not yeah, because she says joke. that she I mean, understands him. Success, but like this has been, you know, this is like, what is it? Is it, is it Hegel's alienation theory or something? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's this, <laughs> it's this, yeah, I'm not about to expound one. on Hegel, but like, not that I could, but he, he, you know, it's this huge compounding pressurizing moment until he finally communicates in, mm-hmm. in, in a seemingly appropriate way to the topic. And it seems like, I mean, I agree with Steven. It seems like he has succeeded. I mean, at what cost, you know, but right, uh, right. I mean, I think, I think he has communicated. Yeah. Because, and, and you know that he's communicated because she says that she finally like totally understands him or something like that. And mm-hmm. when she's watching him, like she says that she, she finally understands and can explain Peter Eggerman or something like that. Um, I, I think as far as like this, like whole, like, uh, expression idea or whatever and, and communication, uh, I love like when he's talking about the dream and he says something like, uh, like that, um, it, when he has this dream, it's like the only time that he feels that he totally has obtained life or something like that. Or like, as, uh, yeah, that as well as he says, um, he says that like, what I experienced, I can read it. If you yeah, can. no, go ahead. what I experienced yeah. seemed more real and more terrifying than the gray reality of my everyday life. Uh, but then he says it's like a cliche, right? Yeah, he does say something where he feels like he has conquered it. I think it's at the end. Okay, I'm I'm scrolling, but you can talk. I'll let you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, just, I was just saying I just like say, I, I like that. We got like, we got ten minutes until the two hour mark. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, dude, the dream is so good, and just like the psychiatrist, we have given a substandard summary. Audience, you gotta watch the movie. Oh, there's <laughs> there's zero <laughs> chance anyone hears this without having seen it, uh, or at least this far. Yeah, oh, here we go. It's only us. Uh, or what? Here, I, do I? Okay, so he just finished telling his story, and then he's looking into the camera. You know, in the letter, he says, "Can you help me? Is there any help? Can I live on? Do I live at all? Or was that dream, as it was, my only short moment of life, of truly experienced and conquered reality?" And yeah. this is mirrored by. After he's done the deed and she's at the mom's house and she says, you know, this is the real, this is the true reality. Uh, Like now she lives in this like weird space. Um, We haven't even talked about the mom. Yeah, who cares, Because, no, I love the, I love that she's like, I love my house. Yeah. You know, it's so sad. A little bit about that too. And she's like a famous, well, we could be brief, I guess. She, I mean, she was an actress. And that's mm-hmm. why it was important to Peter to have that dinner or whatever. It's not because he tries to explain. He's like, it's not because of some mommy something. It's like all the business. She's a relic. She's 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 like an icon of the time, and it's good for business or something. She reminded me of that woman. Have you seen? Do I have this right? Sunset Boulevard. No, Haven't seen it. it. Need to. There's another movie where there's an old actress who's like living in this old house that Magnolia. She refuses to let go of. Uh, I don't think it's Magnolia. No, it's, 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 it's some dude. it's some like fifties noir film. I don't know. More like every woman in her fifties. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. 
Okay, well, okay. does anyone have any quick thing to say about the mom? Otherwise, we should wrap it up. I personally don't have much to say, and I've got to pee. Okay, so we'll be Okay, so real quick before we do. Okay, well, okay, fine. We'll do concluding remarks. You know, we'll do our scores and everything. But I want to posit the question of like, we need to have a separate podcast for a couple things, but mainly, um, we need to have this evil film discussion because you know, speaking of Elsmore. You know, yeah, Elsmore's going crazy talking about it. Is Elsmore not wrong? You know, there's a oh, you know, what would he say the other day? Oh, big surprise! The guy <laughs> yeah, watching a movie that takes place. Oh, the modern world alienates a character, and they feel doom and gloom, or something like this. Um, but and and I've had a similar cover. Just these, I feel like these films, you know, and it's worth mentioning Bergman in general, but like, are really life affirming, in a way. But it's and, and it's related to this, you know, this sort of, you know, unframed God con- concept or something. But anyway, is this movie like, is it a black pill? Is it a white pill? Is it, you know, how do you, what do you, yeah, is this, you know, just a brief comment on like, you know, is this evil or is this whatever, you know, does that make sense? You know, like, are you supposed to walk yeah. away with some like, oh, communication is futile and I should kill a prostitute or, you know, type of thing. <laughs> yeah okay I don't, I don't you know i can understand what elsmore means i think intuitively by evil and i think that uh this movie falls into that category but that's okay it can still be a great like i do see it as relatively doom and gloom but at the same time honest and not not positing some like impossibility but rather describing yeah, and that's, that's and that's what makes it good is that it's not just saying life is futile in some cliche way. Instead, it's like it's a, it's outlining like a, a very serious issue. You know, yeah, that that's why should take seriously. Yeah, and that's I why think it's a white is, pill I, sorry, instead of a black down. pill. No, it's just why it's that's why it's a white pill instead of a black pill. You know, like it's not it's not prescribing that like any kind of mode of action. You know, like it's it's if anything, it's like this is like the overarching problem of human communication or like the problem of defining the problem or something like that. And that, and to be aware of it, to not be aware of it or not to consider it is not good. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's relatable. Sorry. I definitely don't get any sort of life affirming vibes from it, especially since it doesn't posit any solution rather outlines a problem. And I think there is something to be said about Elsmore's like, criticism of oh look another movie about the human condition or whatever (laughs) and i think you know a lot of uh like artsy in quotations uh films sort of fall under this category and i think there's it's reasonable to be like kind of over that um but or or see that as like you know, you're like, you're getting worn out by that sort of uh, motif. Um, but I don't, I don't ever really feel that way about uh, these types of movies in general. Yeah, we definitely, general. yeah, we should have, we need to get elsewhere on. We need to have an evil, we have those, because, you know, he obviously will disagree with whatever this conception of what he thinks. But um, I think he'll agree with, mm. like, my conception. And I think he might agree with yours if, if you just, I don't know, maybe you'd have to say that. But like, Elsmore, I I can totally understand like his disinterest. Ultimately, I think is 
like an aesthetic one and he's tired of in a broad sense and he's tired of watching something which doesn't posit a solution and is not life-affirming i agree that this is not like life-affirming um but i still think it's a good movie and like one one should watch mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. i would i agree it's it leans towards evil but like he i mean, you know i think that that affects Ellsmore more emotionally like i think he dislikes it more he dislikes that that aesthetic more yeah i mean i've talked to him recently we were, we were just talking about it we yeah we, we gotta have a thing for it but yeah we yeah, were approaching it, two hours fast by the way it's right he's got the, yeah he's got this kind of like um we'll clarify what you know yeah, we might, like we some, might some, want to cut all some, of this out i feel like utility no <laughs> utility is somehow baked into this well, we're talking I, about elsewhere without him here that's really yeah, well, like the, continuing this conversation i don't think is good we will not continue it but we're not cutting it out um Okay, you can't cut out me saying that perhaps... I'm not editing anything out. Whatever. Okay, so... <laughs> all right, scores, thoughts. I will start. I'll give it a... I'll give it a strong four. I think it is, in a, in a sense, life-affirming. And I think, you know, worthwhile positing the question, like, what could they have done? You know, was it salvageable? You know, and if you think yes then you know then it's like this kind of fundamental disagreement with the 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 marionettes idea and i think i think they could have saved it i think uh it's a very useful investigation how, of did, an issue. how did we go this whole podcast without you talking about that jesus christ i think it's a useful i think it's a useful <laughs> investigation of an issue that i find relatable and see in my own life and like it, you know it, it's not about to go away so i'm giving it um, a four um i'll give it 4.2 um, I mean, yeah, I think it's like a very nuanced and, and it's, yeah, it's a very nuanced, very well put together description of an overarching problem that I think that people don't like to acknowledge or don't acknowledge. I mean, and this is like discussed in the film, you know, and, and, um, but I think is critical to, uh, be aware of and think about and um, yeah uh, this movie gets a 1.1 just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I was about to cry uh, no I think I will give this movie you know I think coming into this I was pro- I was probably going to give it like a 3.4 3.3 mm-hmm I think after talking about it, it's a movie that I'm enjoying more, and I and I and I and I like it a lot more. It has I have a soft spot for it now. I'm gonna give it a three point eight. Okay. Yeah, uh, Brody, this conversation you, definitely yeah. made me like the movie a lot more. Uh, I feel a little bit bad for my first comments, but also I don't. Um, <laughs> three point nine is my score. Ooh. Ooh. What reduces it is that. Um, I was mostly entertained and continue to be entertained throughout the movie on a conceptual level, but not on a visceral level. So I can sort of imagine the person who isn't super in love with these like ideas and ideas guy. Uh, yeah, not an <laughs> ideas guy that they would have a hard time uh, really loving this movie because I think it lacks something on a visceral level on a narrative level. Um, that's it. Yeah, I think a lot of the critiques, like if you look it up or whatever, like it's not a loved film. 
and I think people feel like narratively it's a little too loose. But it gets me going, baby. All right, well, sounds good. Uh, all right, cool. Stay all tuned. Right. We may we may be doing a book club podcast. Oh yeah, we've got a new. We're yeah, gonna. If any of the yeah. listeners want to listen along, we're reading Gravity's Rainbow meme. Memeities Memebo. <laughs> right. We are, Bananas so, Rainbow. We're reading Gravity's Rainbow, 100 pages a week. You've got time. You can jump in on this session. I'm only 15 pages in. The, the first meeting, the aka book, the yeah. first podcast that you shithead viewers can listen to, <laughs> is, uh, is something like next Friday, that is January, or February. Sorry, February 5th, February yeah. 6th, or February 7th. Yeah, we will release a, uh, you know, the podcast will be titled accordingly. And and you can read along, and it'll be an ongoing thing because yeah. we're going to be reading the book for a while. International yeah. Book Club activated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and hopefully <laughs> evil podcast coming soon. Okay, okay. All right, bye-bye. Podcast over now. Bye.